This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Elan House of Wellness, the ultimate destination for postpartum care, supporting mothers with food, education, self-care tools and gifts. And my pa said, you have to stay and milk the cows. And she said, no, I'm not. Someone else can do that. And I was mad at him because he had that time and I didn't have that time. It can be really hard and it can be really amazing simultaneously. And it's almost like mother was a dirty word for feminists. And she really challenged that idea. I think our mothers and our grandmothers have just sucked it up and been silent. Just respecting a woman's choice if she's privileged enough to have a choice. Nearly 10 years ago, when her first daughter was just a little baby, Gabrielle Nancaro was working 60 to 70 hour weeks in New York City. Today, she's a mother of three, an author, a birth doula and a small business owner. And in her newly released book, The Motherhood Space, Gabrielle weaves an incredible collection of diverse motherhood stories with her own reflections and expert insights on terms she didn't even have 10 years ago. The mental load, mum rage, matricentric feminism, the value of caregiving, and so much more. Here, we cover it all. How maternal rage has shown up for her, her grandmother's act of defiance way back when, why motherhood needn't be a dirty word for feminism, and why it's important that we respect a woman's choice if she's privileged enough to have one. It was such a joy to have my first ever guest back on the podcast, and I know you'll love Gabrielle's take on motherhood today. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the wise and warm Gabrielle Nancaro. Gabrielle, it's been a year since I interviewed you. You were the first ever Ready or Not guest. Big question to open with to look at the whole last year. But what has making work work as a mother looked like for you since we last chatted? Yeah, it's so good to be back. Thank you for having me. So the last year has been quite a busy year. I would even say like probably the last 18 months when I had, you know, I started working on my book. Actually, I probably started working on it about two years ago. And in the last year, particularly, it's been really quite intense with that process. And so just in terms of our like family time, we've been, I've been pretty much out for every weekend last year, like a huge sacrifice for our family to um sort of give me the space and sort of loan me to that project for that time. So it's been a lot of tag teaming between my husband, James and I, and just making sure that I had the time and space to like think and get that done because it does, did and always will matter to me, that kind of work. So um, it's a project that I was super passionate about and really wanted to get it across the line, but it wasn't easy. I think it's not, you know, when you sort of work the way I do and you don't have a job to go to like and set hours, you just find the time wherever you can and that can lead to quite a lot of stress, especially if you're working on a creative project where you really do need time just to sort of sit and think and contemplate as well as actually do the work. So finding that time was quite tricky. I sort of write a lot in the book about how it evolved and happened. And a lot of the book was written in the notes on my phone. Like if I just had a moment where I thought about something or my children did something or something, you know, a conversation with a friend or my sisters like sparked something, 
I would note it down. So actually a good chunk of it came from that kind of process, which I think mothers just will relate to. Like you just find the time wherever you can. And um, yeah, that's how it's kind of happened. And it's been nice now that the book's out in the world to sort of take a bit of a breather and a break and content, like, you know, think about what's going to happen next and over the next year, because the last year particularly has been really stressful in our family. My eldest daughter said like, after the book was done, you're never writing another book again. <laughs> oh, it's so funny as well that she's now at that age where they can like think and say things like that. <laughs> yes. And I said, well, you never tell dad not to go to work. Like why, why, why am what I the What did one- she say to that? Did she have a response to that? What did she say to that? She said, <laughs> she's like, it's not the same. I think she said, it's not the same. Dad works when I'm at school and you're like always away on the weekend, which I That's totally so get. Interesting. Like the, yeah. But it feels like I'm away during like the special times. And I'm like, well, that's not my, you know, that's been our choice as a family for me to, you know, be here to, to do school pick up and drop off. And that matters. I think that's what she said. I can't remember. But yeah, she was funny. She's like, that's just never happening again. That was a horrible process. Oh, that is so funny. It's really interesting the way you talk about actually having the space to contemplate because anything creative that I'm working on, it's all well and good to sort of get the logistics of it down. But I've found since motherhood actually giving myself the time and the space and like physically just the space within my brain almost to be creative and think. Do you find that is more challenging since becoming a mother? Yes, very. I feel like my brain is fried most of the time. Like I've got no, (laughs) yeah, I've got like the way that I used to be able to just, you know, bash things out and be super like, you know, in the way that it happens now, I just have to really like really think and reset and not compartmentalize my brain in like, you know, that's all the mental load and everything else just really needs to be shifted aside for me to sit and focus. But it's really tricky to do that. And I think, I think with a creative process, you actually need that time and space. So last year I did go away and spent a week with my mum and dad just to get a lot of the book done because I was actually physically away from the children. So it was easier to sort of just have that space but I had to leave to get that so it's really hard oh yeah I find my I'm fried my brain is fried by eight o'clock every morning I have a similar I guess work life to you in that it's flexible it's all over the shop it's mostly for myself and I have been toying with the idea of like when can I get away because my husband's incredible like if he's home he'll do it all and I can go into the back room but you're still there so I totally resonate with that like you almost need to get physically out of the space to get stuff done sometimes yep you do before we get into your book I want to go over some things that we chatted about last time. So I re-listened to our interview to prepare for this and something that really stood out to me, there were a few things. The first one was how similar your mindset was to mine pre-motherhood of how this would all fit in and you pictured this having it all woman and you didn't know how that would work and how motherhood marries up with career and how you navigate that all. And I wanted to know how you felt about that now, because I certainly feel really different about that now. It's not that it's easy, like it's a challenge. I would love to tell that previous version of myself not to be as fearful as I was. How do you feel about that now? It's a really good question, I think, because I, my eldest Cammy was born almost 10 years ago. And even in that, those 10 years, so much has changed, I think, in terms of like just recognizing things like motherhood rage and the mental load and things that are now in the zeitgeist that we can talk about and just feel comfortable like speaking about. None of those conversations were happening. It felt 
like I was going in completely blind. And then when I was experiencing these things for the first time, and maybe it's because I'm in the space and I work in the space and like they are really familiar things to me. I'm not sure of a mother becoming a mother these days, how familiar she is with those things. But I was, I was not. And I just thought, I just thought there's going to be so much pressure. Like I'm only just coping with my job now. How do I bring a child into the world and actually, you know, manage all of that? And what happened was that I felt like I was not able to, and I think I was working in a really busy job and I was I was in, in New York and it was a really different lifestyle. So we, as a family, made a lot of choices around that time and those choices have evolved. And I've sort of, you know, completely changed my direction for my career into something that suits not only family life, but also passions of mine that I guess I've always had. So I felt like I was potentially more confident in choosing those paths because I knew that it would free up time as well for family life and I could actually be present and do the things that I wanted to do um, and not be sort of really chained to a job that was, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, which was just wild. That's what they were the hours I was working when Cammy was little and in her first year of life. And I just thought that's, I can't do that anymore. So I wasn't able to do that and mother it just was not possible for me and so that's why I really changed direction and found the things that I wanted to do and slowly sort of built something that really worked for me and gave me um, space to do the things I love but actually freed up time for me to also raise my children and be present and sort of be there for them. It's it's interesting that you say that because my friend and I were voice memoing yesterday and I've been thinking a lot about lately what someone would tell themselves now that we're in that fear-based state of like, shit, I'm returning to work. How is this going to look? And we both have quite flexible work environments. And so we've both sort of come out the other side saying it's almost better than I thought it would be. It's still hard and there's really tough days and logistically it can be a nightmare, but it all in all feels better than I thought it might. But working those 60-hour-a-week jobs, I don't know how people do that. So I really resonate with that. And I need to get someone on that has one of those sort of high-pressure office jobs because I genuinely don't know how people do that. And I don't think, I think a lot of women, not every woman, but I do think a lot of women a lot of women do return to work and sort of sit there and think, okay, I feel like I have changed, like things have shifted for me. And so that's why a lot of women sort of choose a different path or go a different direction or do a different thing. Um, if they're privileged enough to make those choices, I think. So that's a really common narrative, I think, with mothers is that you you do become a mother and your priorities change and maybe work doesn't look like it once did. And so it kind of frees you up to look at what else might be something that you want to do. So if you have the time, space and privilege and money to be able to, you know, take a step back and think, okay, do I want part-time work or full-time work and what does it look like? And you sort of, I don't know, it's sort of motherhood sort of brings some sort of confidence in in that aspect where you just think, no, actually, having time away from my child, I want to be make sure I'm doing the things that I want to be doing with that time, like that they really matter to me. So I think a lot of mothers do experience that postpartum, especially after their first baby, like they come back to work and sit there and think, you know, and everything, nothing's changed at work. People just think you've been on a long holiday or something. <laughs> you get back. And spiritually, you're like, I'm so different to the person I was before. Not the person I was before. I've shifted in so many ways. And now I'm just back at my old job kind of doing the same thing and no one's kind of recognizing that I've been through this huge life transformation and that this is feels really strange so that's so true yeah we sort of sit and think okay what what is it that we want to do but yeah I would tell that myself back then I would say like you know it, it will work out 
You might be tired, but it will work out. <laughs> You're tired. You'd be very tired. <laughs> it's interesting. I think about the way I've re-engineered my career for motherhood, which is obviously not the way my husband has. And sometimes I, I don't know where I sit with that in terms of I genuinely don't want to be in an office five days a week. I want those two days a week with my son yep. and three days working feels sort of perfect. And then in amongst that, I probably do about a half day here and there when my husband is around at nighttime or whatever. And I jostle with being like, how has it not changed you? And do I feel jealous of you or do I feel sorry for you? And I wonder if that's something that ever crosses your mind. Like sometimes I'm almost like, I feel a bit sorry for you that you don't get as much time with our son. But then other days I'm like, how good to just go to work five days a week. Yep. I'm the same. Yeah. I think both. I, yeah, I wrestle with that a lot because I do like, depending on how my day is gone, I'm like, you're lucky that you can actually go into an office and get a coffee and sit and think like that feels like a huge thing that I don't ever really get to experience. Um, but then the joys, like the joys, the day-to-day, the time, like just being with a child and like trying to relay that to, to James at the end of the day of like all the cute things they said and did. Yeah, I think it is. And that's why I think we need to be better with parental leave from the get-go because if parents can actually share that, then no one's missing out. And I think the ideal situation is if both parents are able to work a few days a week and both spend time with that those children, that child and you know, really share so much of that, of their, especially early years, because I'm really finding it now with my nine-year-old. I'm like, it just has gone so fast. <laughs> Everyone says that. And when you're in it with little kids, you're like, no, it doesn't. It's, this is my life forever. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, I'm not going to get that time back. And that is such precious time. And yeah, it's, it is, it is hard. And like for us, my husband works full-time in a pretty demanding job and he doesn't, he does get time with them but it's not the same like it's not the sort of the day-to-day which you know some of some bits are hard and some bits are just so beautiful so I I'm the same yeah I don't know how I feel about it I feel both as much as I've just said that a lot of the parts of that have been more positive than I thought they'd be one frustrating thing that came up for me this week was having to reschedule you and another guest that I was really excited to interview because yesterday pregnancy just literally kicked my ass. I actually couldn't get out of bed. And it is frustrating the curveballs that motherhood throws. I am a control freak and I used to have a very controlled life. And then all of a sudden you're getting used to a lack of control literally because I'm pregnant and I just physically couldn't give anything yesterday. How have you coped with that over the years or how have you navigated that? Yeah, I know. And I didn't mind you at all cancelling yesterday. I think it is just something that you have to learn to surrender to because you can, if you don't really surrender to that, that those messages from your body saying like, stop, slow down, it comes back to bite you in a much worse way. So I think what I've learned is that you actually do need to stop and slow down, but it's taken me a very long time to learn that. I find lack of sleep really, really difficult. And we just had a chat before recording about like, I'm exhausted at the moment. Like I have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old and night times are getting worse. Like I cannot get, like my middle child, Audrey is just a dream, like takes herself off to bed, really tired, falls asleep. Or Cammie and Freddie are different. Like my oldest Cammie, she just can't shut her mind off at night. She finds it really, really hard to like really just relax into sleep. And Freddie just needs me as well and I'm torn in two different directions James tries to do it it doesn't work there's lots of screaming it's every single night and it's like I'm trying to get them to bed 
And I'm just, you know, it's, it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock before they're both asleep pretty much every night. And I'm like, are we still here? Like I've got to, you know, I'm like, I thought you think when you've got little kids that it's, you know, the four month sleep regression is the worst and you get over that and everything's okay. And sorry to everyone listening who's got little kids thinking, what? Um, but the reality is, I think for a lot of families, like it's sleep is hard, like it's really tricky. And so I find it, you know, that really impacts my day if I have not had that sleep, if, you know, I've gone through that sort of experience at night and that's just every night now and it's becoming a habit and it's really, really hard. That's been really tricky. And I think all I can do the next day is just really check in, listen, surrender to those experiences. Because if you do, if your body's saying like you need to stop and rest and you continue on it, you know, you're just kind of missing that opportunity and things will eventually kind of implode and it isn't a good thing. So I know it's tricky and I know it's hard. And I think the more you get into motherhood, the more you kind of soften to that surrender because especially I was, I am and was the same, like quite controlling in my life about how I wanted things to be and how I wanted, I had a vision and deadlines and all of that and I always met them. And now as a mother, I, I say no to a lot of things. Like I get asked to do a lot of things and I say no to a lot of things because it's just, I know it's not going to be possible and I know it's going to put a lot of stress on me and our family. So I know there's going to be a time and a place where I will be able to take more opportunities again. But I think in this kind of middle ground of having sort of young, like a toddler and a tween and six-year-old, like just it's it's a time where I'm just having, you know, just to go day by day and be okay with the fact that things are not going to always work out the way that I hope that they're going to work out. Um, you know, I was a month late getting the manuscript in for my book. Like pre-child's me would have just been horrified at that thought. Like I'd never, you know, a whole month, what? But I was like, I'm sorry, I just, it's been really hard and this is reality and like I'm writing a book on motherhood if I'm not going to sort of say, you know, I'm I'm not going to make this deadline because I've been, these are the things that have been happening in our lives. Then, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really honouring that experience that I write about in the book. So I think it's okay to cancel. I think like you said, like mothers understand and you do, you just you get it. You've got to have that time. So I'm I'm happy that you cancelled yesterday. That was funny. That was the other thing. person who I cancelled on, who's the author, Nell Frizzell, she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, that is such a nice thing to hear because you feel like such a flake and it's just not the best feeling. And I do think that motherhood, and I'm going to sound quite spiritual here, but I do think that's one of the ultimate lessons of motherhood. It's like you've, we've all been on this treadmill for about, we'll say about 30 years, arguably. And then you've got to learn to actually go with the ebb and flows of life rather than just racing, racing, racing. Something else that stood out to me from our last conversation was you saying that working full-time is much easier than being a mother. And I wonder how that has evolved for you, that sentiment over time. I'm going to assume that it's still a true sentiment to you, but how has motherhood become easier in ways and harder in others? Yeah, I think it's still a true sentiment. I mean, motherhood is 24-7. You don't ever switch off. Like I, you know, like I said, I'm in bed maybe by 10.30 at night and someone's waking around 5.30 and if I get any sleep in between, I'm lucky. Like it's not only that, it's like the, you know, going to sleep and the worrying and the mental load and all of that. Like motherhood doesn't stop ever in a nine-to-five job or even a 60-hour-a-week job. Like, you know, you eventually you can switch off from that and you have your weekends and you get breaks from it. It's a complete, I mean, it's hard to compare them actually because they're completely different experiences. But I did find, I think I said that in the beginning because I went back to work full time and my daughter Cammy was four months old and I just was, you know, I had a very stark kind of, you know, 
um, comparison then of like I was going from being a full-time mother to back into full-time work and being at work was easier than being at home. Like at home it was hard, things were hard. Things were um, joyful but very, very hard. So definitely that statement is true still. I think it always will be for me personally. Motherhood for me now feels easier I think because I have become like I sort of mentioned before I've like softened much more into that surrender I don't feel bad about the things that maybe I used to feel bad about but I think for me the guilt is still very ever-present in terms of mother guilt and the things the decisions I've made for my children the things that I do day to day like the guilt is becoming harder if anything like you know I never thought it would or could but I find that really, really tricky. I find like, you know, every single day I feel like I've failed in some big or small way and I'm just doing my best constantly. And so just learning to um, acknowledge that I'm human, acknowledge that I'll make mistakes. Hopefully my children remain happy and content and joyful as they are. And sometimes I just, even I say out loud to my children sometimes, like I'm a human I need this, you know, like if I'm going out for dinner with a friend and they all get really upset about it. I went away with my mum for two nights a couple of weeks ago, which was really special. Um, But leading up to it was hard because they would cry every night that I was going away. And then when I got home, shit hit the fan, like mum's home. So And James was like, oh, they've been so good. And the minute you get home, like craziness. And so I think that's really, really tricky. But also I say to them, like, I'm human. I need this time. This is important to me and just kind of reminding them because I think it's really important that they're reminded as well that like, you know, one day they may be parents and they just need to not sacrifice everything of themselves for for their children because I don't think that's a healthy kind of way to be. And I, you know, I find that, you know, even though that brings immense guilt, I find that I'm, I'm even getting better at that and having stronger boundaries with my children to say like, actually, no, I need this. This is really important for me. So I'm getting better at that. Um, things maybe are becoming a little bit easier because of that, but like the guilt is always there. I think that sentiment is so important though. A recent guest of mine, Hayley Collins, and I were speaking about this and I mentioned two times that I, because I was definitely like an attached, obsessed with my mum, didn't want her to ever leave my side type person. And I still am, yeah, to be too. honest. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. still like that. And I was saying there's two times that really stand out to me. She was a mother of four, stay at home for a lot of those periods or would sort of work in the family business, but very much present. Like she was incredible for us. Yeah. Same as my oh, mum wow. four. And yeah, I don't know how they yeah. do it. did it now yeah. with hindsight. But I just remember two distinct moments where I was particularly upset about her leaving. One was she did this sort of interiors night course midweek and I'd get upset any time that she left for that. And the other was her going away on a holiday with my dad to Bali for like five nights and I was sad that they were both leaving. And now I look back and I think, good on you for doing something for yourself and modelling that. So it's it's nice to remind yourself of why it is you're doing that especially for your daughters I mean for all kids but especially for daughters Mm -hmm. who might be mothers one day and who might be the carriers of the babies yeah it's like no I'm I'm teaching you good lessons here it doesn't feel like it at the time but you are yeah no that's really nice thanks (laughs) for sharing that that's not so Freddie's now three and when we were chatting about this interview you mentioned that a theme that's been coming up for you is this idea that you have more time and space that you never thought you'd get back. What's that been looking like and how do you reflect on that? It's something that I, like I said before, like when you've got little children you don't think you're ever going to come up for air. It feels relentless and you don't can't even imagine a day where, you know, they might get up themselves and go and put the TV on and you get a little sleep in. You're like that's 
they're too little or that's never going to happen. And then one day magically it does. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is independence that I hadn't even kind of thought about. And it just little bits in my, my week and my day where I feel like I do have more time for myself. And now that he will be in kinder next year, and I'm sort of looking forward to those things where, you know, a three-year-old is, even in the last few months, he's just grown up a lot. He's become a lot more kind of independent. It does, he still needs me for a lot, but it just feels like not having a little baby around, which I've had for sort of, you know, the nine years of my parenting, it just feels different. And it's given me, it's meant, I mean, I sort of stopped and paused and thought, okay, I'm doing two things. I'm mourning the fact that that littleness isn't there. And I was thinking that that would be my life forever, that that littleness and that sweetness and all the hard things that come with it, but all the beautiful things that come with it would be forever. And I'm sad about that. Like I, I write in the book that I really want another child and I don't think it's probably going to happen for us. I my eyes and out around I this bit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder sometimes if it's because I just can't let go of that those baby years, which are just so beautiful that this is a new phase in our life. And so like like every chapter in life, there's a period of mourning, like what you're leaving behind and then looking forward to what's coming. And I'm in the middle of that at the moment. And so I, w- I want to be happy and excited and I am, and I sort of see time freeing up for myself, but then I'm like, oh, but, but that's hard because I want them to need yeah. me as hard as it is with the, you know, as hard as it is hearing like three children saying mum simultaneously all day long, like literally mum, 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 mum to like maybe that not being the case soon. And I'm like, oh, hang on, oh. not ready. That's that's sad and like I don't know how I'm going to cope with that. But then also with that comes the positives of maybe like, well, who am I now and what do I want to do and what's my next project and maybe I'm going to have time for that and maybe it's going to be easier to fit those things in now that two of them are at school, Freddie will be in kinder and Maybe, you know, he'll be in school soon. And then I think to myself, okay, then yeah. what am I going to do? Like, then who am I? Like, what what kind of person do I want to be? What do I want to do? And so that feels exciting as well as really sad. I find I that I've almost kind of- avoided the feelings of sadness that come with a baby growing up. And I'm only a year and a half into it, but I'm 26 weeks pregnant. I'm sort of on the precipice of that next bit of change. And I'm so conscious as well of once this new baby comes, how big my baby will be. Yeah. And I told you yesterday that I just was in a weeping mood and I just cried. (laughs) These old memories would come up and I was just like howling with tears in a way that I haven't in ages. Do you sometimes feel like you almost have to avoid, I know we shouldn't avoid our feelings, but do you sometimes push those down because you just can't cope with them? Because that's what I do a lot of the time. Mm. And that's probably why you had that big cry yesterday. Because if you're pushing those feelings down, they've got to come up. Like you've got to let yourself release those tears. Tears are good always, I think. Like you just got to let it go. So yeah, yeah, no, I do. I think I do find myself doing that. Um, If I really think hard about it, I'm like, oh, but you were just so little Uh, yesterday. And these movies, like, you know, your phone constantly reminding you of these sweet children who you look at now and you're like, you're giants. You're so long. Like when did your feet get so big? And like you just... You know, especially my nine-year-old who's like a real tween with like some pretty cute attitude and all of that. And I'm like, wow, I can sort of see the teenager and almost the adult you're becoming. And that's crazy and amazing. But also yesterday you were this toddler who did not leave my side, like literally just did not let go of my leg. 
how has this happened so fast? And so, yeah, I think it's good. It's good to contemplate and to remember and to just sort of be as much as you can in that space and let those feelings be because, yeah, while they're sad, um, it's really special. It's special that I, I feel so lucky that I've had so much time with them and that they've been, I've been around them for that time and they've, you know, the relationship we have is so strong and, yeah, I feel really It does remind you to stay in the moment as well when you're feeling otherwise frustrated. So I think those emotions are very valid and, as you say, I'm going to try and sit with them more so that I don't just end up in bed a whole day crying. (laughs) So your follow-up to The Birth Space, which was your first book, is now out, The Motherhood Space. Tell us about what inspired the book. Yeah, so I think um, when I was writing The Birth Space, I have a chapter at the end of that, which is matrescence, and I didn't put as much as I wanted to put in that chapter. There was so much more, and when I started thinking about it, I was like, no, there's so much. I could keep going here, and Heidi Grant were like, no, because this is the birth space. So we, you know, we have to sort of put an end to it at some point. And this, and I also think that when you're pregnant, maybe you're not contemplating. You're contemplating a little bit of postpartum, but there's this massive brick wall that is the birth especially with your first baby. And sometimes it's hard to think beyond that. So just allowing that birth space to be as it was and sort of doing a little taste of of matrescence and what that is and just introducing the idea. But I had a lot of content. I had a lot more I wanted to do and a lot more I wanted to sort of research, look into people I wanted to speak to. So I I had a lot of content there. And like I said, I had a lot in the notes on my phone. I really thought there's there's a book here. So I pitched it, um, I think about a year after the birth space came out, and they commissioned it. And so I had about a year to write the book. And so that's kind of how it came about and why I did it. And um, I began with a plan or a semi-plan and it didn't feel right to me because it was just, I was like, well, with the birth space, it sort of chronologically made sense. Like you you talk about conception, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, like that all felt seamless. And then I sat down to write motherhood and I was like, where does it begin? Where does it end? It doesn't. It's everyone's experience is so different. What have I gotten myself into? And I kind of sat there for three or four months just with nothing. (laughs) I was like. And I guess you're concurrently having different motherhood experiences because your kids are three years apart. They're different ages. Yeah. Yeah. And I even thought the other day, like if I wrote it now, there are things I would put in it that I haven't put in it because this is my experience and this is where I'm at. But I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my experience, that I was bringing many voices into the conversation because obviously that's really, really important because the things that I've gone through will resonate with some people, but there's so much more that we have to sort of, you know, cover in this book. And so I think that's why I sat there for months just thinking I can't, I don't know what to do. And I had a friend at school pick up say to me, like, how's the book going? And I said, I haven't started because I'm really, I'm trying, but I don't know how to fit in everything. And she said, and I write this in the book, she said, there are as many experiences of motherhood as there are mothers in the world. You just cannot cover every story. Just go with your gut, go with the things that really resonate and have those conversations. And so then I started sort of, you know, reaching out to people I follow, people I admire, women working in the space um, and setting up interviews. And I have over 40 hours, I think, of interviews just for the book. Um, And many of those conversations were like super therapeutic for me because I was talking to these women and I was thinking this feels like a therapy session. Like I'm telling you all the things I'm going through and you're relating it back. And these are professionals and it was so interesting and it felt really, really real and honest and raw. And in those conversations, many themes emerged. So even though some of those women were mothers, not all of them were mothers, but they were, most of them worked with mothers and they were just common themes. And I thought, okay, they're the ones that I need to pursue. I can't do everything. They're the ones that I need to pursue 
And then there are stories throughout the book, woven throughout the book, like in the birth space as well, that I invited women to write. And so I feel so grateful and honoured to have those stories in those in the book because many of them are so, they're just all so heartbreakingly real and tender and vulnerable and so special. And my editor said to me, how did you get women to have so many beautiful, diverse stories and how did they all write so well? Like, did you ghostwrite them? Did you interview them? And I was like, no, I invited them to write about an experience that mattered to them. And they were free to write about whatever they wanted to write about. And that's kind of what came back. And it is so beautiful. These stories are so beautiful. And I feel so lucky to have them in there because I just think the most important thing is the honesty in them. And they're there and they uh, they make the book really what it is. And I think that just feels, yeah, just really special. And I feel really honoured to have those stories in there. It's interesting that you talk about it feeling like therapy because obviously that's what I feel a lot doing these interviews as well. And one thing that I've learned about motherhood, and I'm not saying it's the only experience that people can get this feeling, but even if someone's gone through something totally different to me, I feel like it's the first time I can still relate to them if it's about motherhood. Do you get that sense? Yeah, I think so. It's the honesty of, it's the honesty. It's just knowing that like you're all in this together and it doesn't feel even though it can feel isolating and alone a lot of the times when you're at home and, you, and you're thinking, I, I really truly feel quite alone in this. Like you actually just know that, no, actually we're all experiencing and going through so much. And that, I think that it's the bigness of motherhood. When I think about the Christmas holiday period, I feel both excitement and dread. It's a time of joy, but it can also be stressful. And even more so, as I head towards the end of my second pregnancy with a busy toddler in tow. With this in mind, Elan House of Wellness wants mothers to prioritise themselves this summer. Through their incredibly thoughtful offering of dry mixes like the dark chocolate banana bread, traditional Chinese medicine mixes, I can't wait to try the Restore Herbal Soup in my upcoming postpartum, and gifts including affirmation cards, beautiful body oils, mists and creams, Elan House of Wellness is changing the way we think about postpartum care and looking after mothers. Whether it's a gift for yourself for getting through this crazy period or something for the special mother figure in your life, you can shop their range of family and pregnancy-friendly products at elan.house. All of their products are carefully curated through a contemporary interpretation of ancient Chinese traditions that believe that when you support the well-being of the mother, you in turn support the entire family. Listeners of Ready or Not will receive 10% off using code POSTPARTUMREADY at elan.house. This offer has no expiration date but excludes 28-day postpartum packages and gift certificates. Really beautiful themes in this book. I want to go through a few of them with you. But before we do, there's a great story in there. It's about your grandmother and milking cows. Can you share that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my grandmother, Nancy, my nanny, um, was the most phenomenal woman. And um, she had six children. She, her and her and my my grandfather lived on a dairy farm in the Western Districts in Victoria and she was expected to do so much. So not only raise those six children and do, you know, just in that kind of age where my grandfather would just come in and sit down at the table expecting dinner, not only was she doing that and keeping the house and raising the children, but she was milking all their cows on the dairy farm. She was doing all the farm work as well. So she was expected to do so much. 
And my uncle was an Olympic cyclist. So when he was growing up, he was doing road races every weekend. And my nan didn't get to go to any of them. She had to stay home with the little kids and milk the cows because the cows still had to be milked. So my pa would go out, get in the car, get the older kids, and they would leave every Sunday. And my nan was just stuck at home. And there was no question about sharing that responsibility or maybe her going sometimes. And she missed out. And she just, I can just sort of picture her now, like sitting at home fuming, being like, oh, hang on not okay. But even that was this in the sixties and she, she really sat there and just thought, no, that's not fair. So one day, one morning, one Sunday morning, she just got in the car too. And my pa said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm coming. And he said, no, you're not like, you have to stay and milk the cows. And she said, no, I'm not. Someone else can do that. Or you work that out. And I just love that defiance. Like it just in the sixties, it just, I just don't think like it was, you know, on the cusp of feminism, but it really just for someone a mother of six working on a dairy farm in Victoria in Australia, like, you know, just to have that sort of fire in her belly to be like, it's not okay. And I'm not going to miss out on this and you can sort it out. Yeah. That was, I loved her telling, I asked her to tell me that story I all the time. I absolutely love that story. <laughs> Even as, like, I think I heard it when I was eight years old for the first time. It just goes to show these little moments of feminism that have happened throughout time as well. So I want to talk about the mental load, which is a big theme in the book. My husband does heaps. He does so much and he does a lot of thinking as well as doing, which I think is ultimately where a lot of couples can sort of come unstuck is that dads are now doing more, but they're still not thinking as much. I feel like we're in a really good place with that, but I still catch myself in these moments of being like, oh, I've done all of the thinking on X, Y, or Z. And I wanted to know what's the most invisible load that you've carried or that you carry that then you've sort of been like, wait a second, that's a part of the mental load. And I have not expected my partner to do anything about this. Like an example, just one example is like washing the sheets on the bed has to happen all the time, right? I think my husband thinks he does it because I strip the bed sheets. And so he puts them in the washing machine and he puts them in the line and then he makes the beds. It's like, but you never strip the beds. Like if I didn't do that, it literally wouldn't happen ever. It's the thinking. It's the like, you know, the just beginning a job. It's all of, I carry all the load for all of that. Like it's the, just initiating the work. So, and I feel like a lot of women kind of like what you started the conversation, just that question is like, my husband does a lot that even that is like, yeah. I think it's problematic. So it's like, well, it's great that he does a lot, but he should be doing a lot. Like no woman, no man would no, ever say my wife does so a lot. True. Like, my, the beginning is such an interesting way of putting it. It's like the beginning of a task is ultimately in hetero relationships still falling on the mothers. Yeah, I think so. And I think that is the mental load. It's like actually just remembering to do something. And it's not just those little, it's just little things day to day, like constant where it just feels like, and I think because our relationship dynamic is the way it is and he's always worked full time and there's times that I've taken breaks and most of the time I'm here and I'm present, it's all invisible because he has never actually looked after our children on his own for an extended period of time. Yes, there's been like a week when I went away to write the book or there's weekends where I've been, but it's never, I'm always like checking, I'm always coming back in. So um, like I would say as well, my husband's amazing. He does a lot. He does all the cooking. He does this. And I'm like, I'm not going to give that. He is incredible. And I think it's a product of our society that he's not doing anything wrong in the way that like our relationship dynamic is. But I need, I think I'm constantly saying to him, I just need more. And he's like, but I'm at capacity. And I'm like, but so am I. And I need more support in these areas. And a lot of it is like the emotional load. It's actually Picking, it's actually him being present to pick our children up from school and do the walk home, which is a 10-minute walk, 
but you hear about their day in that time and you get an insight into their lives into the dynamics of their friendships and things that are happening and things that are going wrong and things that they want to talk about there the girls are super chatty and they'll tell us everything but they're telling me all the time so if there's anything like you know I know the names of every single child in each of their classes like everything that's going on all the different kind of dynamics of every friendship and like without that insight without him picking them up from school and having that insight when things go wrong he's going to have no idea about who is what and why and all of that and things do happen in their lives and I'm the one that's like there to sort of be like okay let's hear I'll listen to that and tell me about how that's feeling and And then you're the gatekeeper of all that information and I am and then I try to relay it but it's at night I'm on the couch and I'm in my head and I think Oh, there's so much I have to tell him, yeah. but I'm so tired. I can't be bothered. And I just, I'll just, I'll, we'll find time to talk about it. And we never do. So it's constantly there. And it's like a lot of that. And it's taken me a long time to realize that is a load, that emotional load, which is a privilege. Like I feel so lucky that my children talk to me and that's beautiful, but they don't talk to my, to James so much. It's, it's, you know, it's usually me. And like we sort of talked about before, I feel like that he's missing out. Like that's, you know, I want him to be involved in their lives and things are going to get more complicated as they get older and I want his support as well. So we just need to sort of get better at that, I think. But yeah, for me, it's just so much little tasks, emotional load, all just the initiation of things. Like it's just constant. Everyone, every mother relates to It's so interesting the way you mentioned how I prefaced that with my husband doing a lot too, because the other week we're very sort of collaborative to a point where I almost think we need to delegate more. Like we're very much like what should we have for dinner or what do we need on the grocery list? We do that to each other probably just as evenly. But the other week he just sort of managed that from start to finish, had just done it. I was in a meeting and he'd just done it. And I remember feeling like, oh, how good does that feel that he just did it? There was no part of, like I didn't even mention that we need blueberries, if you know what I mean. And it is funny that, again, that is something that I really thought about and was appreciative of. Because if the reverse happened, and to be honest, the reverse doesn't happen often where I don't at least say to him, what do we need or blah, blah, blah. But the fact that that stayed with me so much says something. And it says something about society, which you talk a lot lot about in the book. It's less about our partnership and more about society. Like when I get angry at the patriarchy, for a while there I was angry at my husband. But then it became that I was actually more angry with society. Yeah, it's society. Like, yes, we can make small changes in our homes, but again, that's a pressure on us to be doing things, right? I think like society, culture, government, that that is where it needs to be recognised more and that is where, like I said at the start, it has to happen at home with your first child where you're taking equal amounts of leave and not a partner saying, oh, well, I've got parental leave so it might be really nice if I take it while you're still on parental leave and let's take a holiday or let's do it together. I always say, like, no, like, yeah, that sounds lovely, maybe for a couple of weeks. If, she, if she's working, let her go back to work and you stay home with the baby and you understand what has to be done day to day with no one picking up the pieces because it's on you. And unless you experience that from the get-go, I think it's really hard to unpack that and to go backwards and to say like, you know, that's just that's where the rage and the anger and all of the things come in with women because we're like, I just can't explain to you yes. what's on my mind, how much I have unless you're in it, you're going to have no idea. And the reason you acknowledged your partner doing all of that is because you know what it takes to get a shopping list done. You understand that because you've done that. But a partner who's never done it before doesn't have any visibility to that. So they're going to have no idea. So unless our you know, institutions and our government and everyone recognizes that that's important. Like my husband was, he had access to paid parental leave 
when we were, when we had our two children in Australia and he never took it either time. Like he took a few weeks after their birth and he had actually, I can't even remember, but quite a few months he could have taken off. He didn't because his superiors were kind of like in his ear saying That's it's not a great idea. That's the thing. Really just for Sorry. the optics. Like it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's there, but don't that take it if you, want, if you want your career to go ahead. I know. And both times I'm like, how sad. And, like, and I always wonder where does that leave us? Because the gender pay gap unfortunately still exists. So if his income is bringing more in the way of money and just keeping you afloat, where does that leave us with feminism? You might have a real feminist husband that wants you to go do these things. But at the end of the day, this might be your mortgage and you have to meet these repayments. It's just, there's so much to it. <laughs> Maybe Buster. we could have a whole other <laughs> chat on that. But you did bring up mum rage. So I want to stick to that. There's a great story in there that so many mothers, I would say, I'm going to say 95% of mothers would resonate with. Yeah, I think this was when I had two, I think the girls were quite small, like one and four. And it was just winter and it was relentless rain and we hadn't been outside. And it was just... I think the few weeks leading up to this experience were just not good and it was late and I had nothing for dinner and I hadn't been to the supermarket and things were just hard. And he just he just walked in the back gate and I love the sound of the back gate. We have like a shot front house and then he comes in the back gate and that like click of the gate feels like an instant relief, like he's home. So like I saw him come through but he had his earphones in and all he did, all he did was take his earphones out and walk in and I was immediately just so mad. It's not okay that you have just sat on a train for half an hour listening to a podcast. Like, no, I have not had that time for four years. Like I have not had space to sit on a train or do anything for myself, go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Like I just have not had that time in so long. And I was mad at him because he had that time and I didn't have that time. And it just, again, it's like not his fault. He's off working so that we can afford the life that we have. And I'm here doing what I want to be doing, but sometimes that's really hard. So I was just very mad at him and he had no idea why. And I can't even remember what ensued, but it was just, it was hard. And I still remember the feeling of being like, I just don't have that time. I don't have that space and I need that space. Like, where do I find it? And it feels impossible in that moment. So I think so many people have been through that exact same scenario. On that, I'm interviewing Minna Dubbin soon, who's released a book called Mum Rage. And she talks about how she actually addresses her mum rage. I think it's become part of the zeitgeist to talk about it. But I think the next step is us figuring out then what what do we need? What is the actual source of that? What do you think it normally symbolises for you if you're having one of those days? I have found that it's like exhaustion. It's like sometimes my anxiety kicking in as well. It's just having like someone tip me over the edge. It's just another, you know, 10 minutes of my son just screams a lot. I don't know why. Feel like it's like sensory overload as well. Like my husband likes to listen to music, and I and my kids do as well. They love dancing. All four of them. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't get that gene at all. Like, you know, my kids are like very much like him. They all love dancing, dance party, loud music, and sometimes I just yeah. have to kill the party. I'm like, I'm sorry, I cannot have that music on anymore. It's too much. And like, well, you've potentially had it all day, whereas he's excited to come back to that joy because he's been in an office environment. So it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. That's really true. So I just have to acknowledge that it's really, really hard. So some little things will tip me over the edge. I feel like I'm getting better at managing it and understanding that actually it's what I need. And I spoke to Lael Stone for my book, who who's just done so much work in this space and she's incredible. And she talks about a listening partner. So just having someone to listen to you. So you're calling them up, you're just 
ranting and raving and getting it all out, swearing, doing whatever you need to do. And that person just listens, doesn't give you any feedback, doesn't try to placate anything. Is just like, doesn't try to like insert themselves in their narrative and say, well, this happened to me too. I understand. It's just someone to listen. And for me at the moment, that's my sister. And I think the two of us kind of get together and just rant and we don't talk and the other one does, and then we get it out. And I think you need that outlet because if you don't have that outlet, it's inevitably your children who cop it and it's not their fault. They should not be the ones that are getting yelled and screamed at because you're the one that's, you know, about to boil over. It's just the nature of them being with you the whole time. And it's one of them screaming their heads off and you're just like, I can't anymore. Take deep breath. Like it is not them. It is never them. It's not okay. It's everything else going around externally to that, but they can't be the ones that are like, what's going on with mum? She's crazy, absolutely crazy. So it's about having that space and knowing that you've got that person to listen to. So yeah, Lael's done so much work in this space. If anyone wants to sort of dive deeper and um, Mina, who you're interviewing as well, I can't wait to read that book. I think that that's just important. It's important just to know that like it's a thing and we experience it. Like I said, when I first had my first child and I was those, those feelings like really deep rage was coming up and I'd never experienced it before. And I thought, wow, what is going on in my body? Like what is And it's actually terrifying. Like genuinely, you're, you're scared of yourself in those moments. Yeah. You feel like throwing something. You feel like throwing a paint at the wall and you're like, that would be really satisfying right now. Yeah. That's what I need to do. <laughs> but you're like, whoa, that's big. And what's going on? And yeah. So just knowing that it's a thing that women experience, that there's mirrored reasons why we do, but just knowing that it's okay, as long as you've got support and outlet acknowledgement that it's something that you might need to shift to sort of, you know, you might need more support or whatever it is that, yeah, it's okay, but finding the right outlet for it is important. You also write about the beauty that can be found in the day-to-day of motherhood. And I think something that can be quite interesting, especially in the social media space, is that anyone that's a little bit more like get on with it, we did, can think that us talking about the hard bits of motherhood just means that we actually just hate being mums and we wish we didn't do it, which is so not the case. Like I'm so conscious of talking about the hard bits of motherhood on this podcast, but just being real about it, not it doesn't mean I'm being negative and that I hate being a mum. It just means that it really is hard. Like I'm having the most magical moments ever with my son at the moment where I just look at him and I'm just like, screaming with joy because he's just bringing me so much joy but that doesn't mean that motherhood can't be hard how do you find that balance yeah I think it's important to acknowledge acknowledge that the two things are true at the same time simultaneously like I write in the book like I you can go from joy to rage really fast in motherhood like it can just be like the flick of a switch which is wild but you can be feeling all these incredible beautiful love this love and these emotions and then all of a sudden you're just feeling like this rage and so I think it is um really important again to just sort of be present be in the moment and acknowledge the beauty in the day-to-day and remember these things and to write them down and to take photos if it's like a particularly special moment or just the ordinary moment like just watching my children don't play or they play my girls play really well together my son sort of needs me a lot to play with him and but it's so nice sometimes just to sort of see him sitting quietly because he never ever does and just playing and it's really sweet to watch and he's getting he's at the age now where he's using his imagination and talking to himself and his little imaginary friends and it's super cute and I just love just watching that and taking it in and I think I've become so much better at that now that I've sort of become more experienced as a mother I feel like early on with my two little girls like I felt quite overwhelmed a lot of the time and I and it just was like I could I can't go back and say oh why 
why did I feel so overwhelmed? Why didn't I stop and take more of it in? I still did and I still have memories of those beautiful moments. But I think if you can early on sort of stop and take it in. But I, I sort of say that in the book as well. Like it's just mothers don't want to hear that sometimes because it is really hard and you don't want to feel guilty for not taking it in and for not being more present because sometimes it's overwhelming and hard and that's okay and don't feel guilty about that. But I feel like with my third child, you know, he was born when Audrey, my middle one was three and a half. So I already had quite a lot of space with him and I could sort of soak him up a little bit more and just sort of be present for so much more of that. And now it feels really nice. The girls are at school. Him and I spend a lot of time together and that feels really special and I'm really holding on to that. But I think I can only do that with the perspective of being a mum who has an older child or older children and knows now how quickly it goes because I didn't have that perspective at the start and that's okay. There's only one way to get it, isn't there? There is, exactly. So you just have to do what you can do with every little moment and just like really if it is special and it feels good, just sort of keep doing that and and hold on to those moments and, yeah, write down the cute things that they say, take the photos, like remember those times. feels really nice if you can because there is so much beauty. And I say that to all the families that I work with. I'm still actively working as a doula and families sort of say like, oh, there's so people just tell us all the bad stuff, like how we're not going to sleep again, how hard it is. And I just say like, enjoy it, be in the moment as much as you can. Like there is so much beauty in this, like especially with a newborn, like toddlers are hard, but newborns aren't that hard sometimes. I know. I'm like, okay with having a newborn again. I'm like, what's the toddler going to do? The newborn's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. The toddler's a lot. The toddler is a lot. Like you've got to be watching them the whole time, but a newborn, like they're so sweet. Like really soak that time up if you can. Like there is so much to love about the time as well. So yeah, it can be really hard and it can be really amazing simultaneously. I have two more questions for you before I let you go. There's a really great quote in your book by Amy Taylor Cabots that talks about the idea that she loves feminism and she's all for feminism and she doesn't want to critique it. But she thinks that almost when we put women in the workplace, we forgot about matricentric feminism, I believe it's now called, feminism to do with motherhood. Yeah. It's something that I'm really conscious of with this podcast because ultimately at the end of the day, this podcast is for mothers trying to navigate paid work. But I'm not trying to say that that's the only valuable way a mother can be. And I want to know where you sit on that and how you think we honour both people that are entering into paid work and people that aren't after motherhood. I think it's about just respecting a woman's choice if she's privileged enough to have a choice. I think that's really important and not projecting yourself onto their choices. I think in motherhood, we're like defensive about the choices we've made or had to have made. Like some women don't have a choice and they have to go back to work. And so they can be quite defensive or some women have really pursued career and then they might feel, you know, then their children are older. They might think, oh, why, why didn't I have more time with them? And so then they kind of project and there's a lot of that kind of not even competition, but just like, you know, you feeling not so great about your choices, maybe, but like the projection of it. So I think it's just like sit in your choices and be with your choices and be okay with everyone's choices. And I think Amy says in that quote, like if mothers were paid, we would value it because we work because, you know, we're in an economic society where motherhood has no value because we don't make any money and like we're caregiving, but what's that? There's no value in that. And that is the patriarchy. So I think it is really important. Andrea O'Reilly, who I spoke to, she is the one who coined matricentric feminism. And it wasn't, she was an academic from a young age. And it wasn't until she became unexpectedly pregnant, I think at 22, where she had been studying feminism and she'd been studying women's studies. And she said, I realized all of a sudden that I'd never, we'd never studied anything on motherhood. And it's such a huge part of our lives. And she said, so because she had, I think, three or four babies, like in a you know, 20s, like when she was doing her master's and her PhD, 
And um, she's, she said, this is not okay. Like we talk about every other kind of feminism, but there's no feminism for motherhood. And it's almost like, you know, it's feminism is a dirty, well, motherhood's a dirty word for feminists. It's like, if you become a mother, then you just kind of, you're not doing the work of what women should be doing and have been trying, we've been paving a path to enter the workforce, to do the things. You become a mother and you step away and you're not actually a feminist anymore because you're a mother. And she really challenged that idea. And she said, actually, the women I spoke to, like feminism, like motherhood really galvanized their feminism. They all became feminists when they became mothers because they were just like, this is not okay and we need to fight about this and we need to do this work. And so she has done so much work in that space. So if anyone's interested to learn more about that, like that was a fascinating conversation that I had with her and it just made so much sense that actually there's a huge part for motherhood in feminism and it really matters. And if you're privileged enough to make that choice and to want to be a mother and a stay-at-home mother or whatever, like that language is so outdated now because like, we do so much as mothers and we often don't only mother, but if you only mother, that's great. And that's, that's more than enough. Like you're doing the hardest job in the world. So where's the respect? Where's the reverence for that? Like we need to bring that into our culture to say not, and I still feel it too. Like I remember like leaving my job in New York and thinking, what am I going to do next? Actually, it's, it's okay just to be in this space and being mum for a while and forever, if that's my choice and that's what I want to do. But it felt like there was always a voice in my head being like, no, you need to do more. That's not enough. So, and where does that voice come from and why? And it's like, you know, it's a hangover from all of those, that feminism movement that was like get into the career side of things, like, you know, do everything else. But we we know as mothers, like if we do that, someone has to step in at home. So who's that person stepping in at home? And often it's us too. And we realize actually we can't do all of that. That's too hard. So there has to be a space for this respect of motherhood and what it brings and what it what it means. And so, yeah, there was so much in those conversations. I could have written an entire book on it, honestly. And so it's just, I touch on it in my book, but I talk to these women so that if, you know, you're reading my book and you want to learn more, like go and research their work because there's so much more in it. And it's, yeah, it's important. I think we need more respect as mothers, so much more. It's so interesting as well, because mothering really upholds the entirety of society. Nothing would be possible without it. And people would be able to earn the money they did without us raising this generation who will earn, will do the amazing things going forward. So it's incredible. And I could not agree more that motherhood exacerbated my feminism to a new degree. But another interesting thing that I've found a lot is that I'll still almost dumb down motherhood, depending on my audience. Like if I'm with a group of non-mum friends, I'll talk about motherhood really differently to my mum friends. And I don't know why, but I think it comes back to these really outdated perspectives on feminism, if I'm really thinking about it. And I'll almost try and, I guess, separate myself from being a mum because I don't want people to perceive me as just a mum. I'm just realizing this as we talk. And I reckon it comes back to that idea that feminism left behind mothers for a bit there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, they did. And I think the comments I got when I quit my job in New York was like, but what are you going to do? And you can't just be a mum like, how, are you going to use your brain ever and everything you've done? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, how does that come into this conversation? Like, what do you think I don't use my brain when I'm a mother? Like, it's the hardest work in the world. I'm literally it's trying to keep someone alive. Spiritually, physically, it is the hardest work in the world. And like, until that's recognised and genuinely valued. Um, I speak to Eve Rodsky too, and she just has done so much incredible work in this space too, to say, actually, no, there's just so much to be acknowledged about the work that women do. And if women stopped that work, it, our society would no longer function. I think we got a taste of that in COVID where we actually 
had to stop and partners had to be home and like you know women had to still work but who's looking after the children and like actually we yeah got a taste of it but until we um actually just literally stop working and stop doing all the things the caregiving and the mental load and all those things no one's going to have any idea about the work that we do I could talk to you about that all day but I will let you go after this question I think we've sort of touched on how the structure of the book came together yeah but for someone like me who's always been a writer and would love to one day write a book I don't know what the hell about yeah how did you actually bring it all together how did you do it yeah I think um so I touched on it before I think I sat with it for a very long time um, the themes that I thought I would explore early on, some of them made it into the book, some of them didn't. And I think it was really those conversations that I had that I um, spoke to all so many women and the themes that came through, like they were the ones that formed that solid sort of plan in the beginning. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that the book had structure to it, but I also thought like there's so many parts of motherhood, well, most most parts of motherhood that aren't structured that we might be experiencing when our children are young or older or in the middle somewhere. Um, you kind of dip in and out of these feelings depending on where you are in life. So I didn't want it to feel structured really at all. I wanted to make sure that there was, you know, some ebb and flow through it, but I wanted to also be allow, you know, allow anyone who picked it up and read could, you know, pick it up at any sort of point in the book and actually feel resonated with a story in it or with a section in it. So how is that going to look? So that actual planning just took a really, really long time. And then when I came down to writing it, like I said, I took so much of the notes on my phone and I just started writing. And I I think the book was twice the size when I handed in the manuscript and then we like brought it back because it was just so much content, stories, like experiences, words that really just felt like they needed to be there. And then to make a book can't have everything. So like the editing process was actually harder I think than the writing process just making sure that we um took out what we need to take out and keep him uh, you know the important really important how did it feel cutting things out when I guess you want every single person that is a mother to be heard and seen really hard and I think if it's not an experience that you've necessarily gone through you might think oh is that important but it is like this is important this is important to someone and that means it will resonate with millions of women so Things that I had gone through personally, I found easier to write about and to keep in, but then I had to be really open-minded about the experiences that I hadn't experienced myself and sort of even for me, see them as like a window into another woman's experience. And again, that's, that's the community of mothers, like actually knowing that, you know, your experience is not connected to everyone's experience, but it's important to know what women go through and that they're not alone. And so that you can be a source of support for somebody who. Um, is going through something that you haven't, but just knowing that like this is important, that this is her experience and this is her story. The more that we can take up space with our stories as mothers, the more important that is like to actually show that we are valued and recognised and acknowledged for what we're doing. And for so long we've had to be silent and I think our mothers and our grandmothers have just sucked it up and been, been silent and it's not okay anymore. We want to share these stories and it's really the inspiration behind the book. I think it's important to have these stories out in the world and I feel yeah, just really lucky to have driven a project that um, matters so much to me and hopefully will resonate with lots and lots of mothers and women and families and anyone who loves a mother can read it and say, okay, I I, I understand now or I understand more um, and hopefully change as we sort of move forward, like, you know, hopefully kind of impact a little of that change through the, the project that we've done here. It's an incredibly important book and I've loved reading it and I will be picking it up very often it's definitely one of those books that you can just take little bite sizes when you when you feel called to it 
Before I let you go, can you remind us of the name and where people can find it? So here, Motherhood Space, um, available everywhere. I, I sell it on my website. It's Booktopia at the Amazon. It's every, pretty much every bookstore has picked it up, which is great. Target as well. Congratulations and thank you so much for sharing your update and your story with us. Thank you so much. So good to talk to you. <laughs>